0: Thank you for being in control of all things, including our salvation. Lord, apart from you, we would have nothing. Thank you for your grace. that help each and every person in here to know you more and to pursue you diligently more. To cherish and esteem Christ above this world, and above all things. And that they would mature as Christians and understand they're not supposed to remain in a fearful state. And they're not supposed to pursue you for the sake of rewards alone and the benefits. But God, that they would have a great and high vision of you and to know that they are pursuing pure wisdom, absolute perfection, beauty, that which is honorable and true. And that that would be their great vision as they move forward in their Christian life and walk with you. That that would be their focus and what they see and look toward when they lift their eyes toward you in heaven. That it's not about the gold streets. And it's not about what they may or may not have. But it's about being in your presence and being with you alone. For you are worthy of all adora- adoration, affection, zeal and all focus deserves to be upon you and you alone amen we'll begin with reading from the text starting in Romans 9 verse 30 we'll read through chapter 10 verse 4. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? Even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it, the righteousness. They did not pursue the righteousness by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul deals with the present state of Jews during this time. He discusses the reality of how people are saved during each and every time of God's age and systems. Both Jews and Gentiles, each and every person that is saved out of these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, is saved by faith. And as we all know, it's by faith alone, or you hear people repeatedly say that, that are orthodox. It's by faith alone, through God's grace alone, in Christ alone. The only thing missing here in the passage we read is God's grace, but it's assumed knowing everything that's been written about God's grace thus far in all of Romans. So again, we're in Romans, it's addressing righteousness, faith, and grace repetitively. There are no differences and there are no exceptions between everyone throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament time, including all the way down to the present age, us sitting in this room. People are saved by God through faith in him, by his grace. Nothing has changed in that regard. The Old Testament and the New Testament is consistent that people are saved by faith through God's grace. Paul is showing why the majority of the Israelites at this time, back in the 30 A.D. to 50 A.D. time, all the way up to the time of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in A.D. 70, why the Israelites, the majority of them, were rejecting God and were not being saved. Many of them, this is the key, the key thing I want you to get today, many of them cannot accept, standing humbly before Jesus Christ. The opposite of humility before Jesus Christ is being proud and thinking that you can stand toe-to-toe with Jesus Christ, looking inward at yourself and not looking at him and him alone. And we will look into what that looks like and then I'll try to summarize at the end. First, let us recall God's prescription of faith for salvation back in Romans 4. Please turn there with me. Romans 4. Romans 4 begins, and the whole thing is centered around faith. We talked about God's righteousness in chapter 3 and man's sin and faith was introduced. But this chapter is all from a human perspective what faith looks like. Specifically the faith of Abraham and in a small way also a quote from David. The faith that David had in the beginning. Primarily this whole chapter looks to Abraham and what his faith is like as an example for all of us. Is our faith the same as Abraham's, the way Paul describes it in this chapter. And I would pray that everyone would humbly see that their faith shows signs to be just like the faith which Abraham had before he was circumcised and even after he was circumcised. Verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it, that belief, that belief was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 9. Is this blessing then, this crediting of righteousness to your account, is this blessing on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? So Paul puts forth his question here for us to answer. What does the scripture lead us to believe about this? Is it before circumcision or after circumcision? We say that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And Paul gives us the answer. This quote is before Abraham was circumcised, that he received the righteousness from God based upon his belief in God's promise and who he was. And verse 11, And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal. Of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. He gladly obeyed God, did a work based upon faith. And you can read Hebrews chapter 11. Person after person that obeys God does so on the foundation of their faith. And all the deeds that they do for God are out of faith. Faith is not the base. I mean, faith is the base. Works are what come out of the faith. And the people of God are glad to do the work of the Lord. Do they do it perfectly? No. But that is their general direction. And their heart always cries out and believes in the Lord and desires to please him. Not to receive something from him. Not to receive salvation. But because they know that they are saved by his grace. And they love him they have the love of God inside them, poured out by the Holy Spirit, as we learned in Romans 5, verse 5. So he, Abraham, might also, this, this purpose of this is so that he, Abraham, could be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Meaning the Gentiles. And that righteousness might be credited to them. Also, so both Jew and Gentile find that they must walk like Abraham. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. Righteousness comes through faith. And so that Abraham, the father of the circumcision, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who follow in the steps of the faith. And so those who are circumcised, Circumcision will not save you, is what Paul is saying. Being a descendant of Abraham will not save you. Doing works of the law will not save you, as we will continue to unfold and unwrap. Based solely on that, you must follow in the footsteps. All your works must be out of faith. Otherwise, they are coming from sin-stained hands, and they are hideous before God. All acts of obedience toward God that is not from faith is sin, the scriptures say. And we'll do absolutely nothing for you but condemn you more on the day of judgment. The promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world, and likewise Jew and Gentile, we are going to inherit the world who believe and walk in the faith just as Abraham had, it was not through the law it was through the righteousness of faith of faith the inheritance comes through the righteousness of faith for if those who are of the law the jews primarily speaking here only speaking here are heirs if those who are of the law are heirs then faith is made void and the promise is nullified or empty for the law brings about wrath but where there is no law there also is no violation verse 16 for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace god's grace you see this is beginning to unfold the reality that faith is in accordance with god's grace this faith that is foundational to receiving god's righteousness is of god's grace It comes to human beings by an act of God's grace. It's beginning that idea. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. Jew and Gentile in context here, the word all. The Jews and the Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised, who walk in the faith of Abraham and believe in God, and treasure God, and treasure Christ, and are humble before Christ, and trust in his righteousness, these are the ones, these are the ones, these are the descendants, the beloved of God, my people, who shall receive the inheritance. And it is not only those who are of the law, meaning the Jews, but it's also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, meaning the Gentiles. He is the father of us all, both groups of people. God made Abraham the father of both Jews, his true blood descendants, and those who would believe like him and be his children by acting just as he did, by having the faith in God. Romans 1 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not to everyone who's ever lived for all time, but to everyone who believes. And this belief will be credited to them as righteousness in its accordance with God's grace. And it goes to the Jew first. And then it also, by God's grace, it extends out to the Gentile nations. For in it, in the gospel, is revealed the righteousness of God. From faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And this statement right here, Freed Martin Luther, a zealous Catholic monk, from trying to earn his way to heaven and appease an angry and wrathful God, God opened his mind to the truth on these six words. And the Reformation was sparked off, of which we are all children in here. The Catholic Church got away, the Roman Catholic Church got far away in their understanding of these truths from what the early church believed in the Middle Ages and in the High Middle Ages. And to this day, they remain in great error. They love Augustine, but they will not return to Augustine. The church father from the 400s. So the question could be asked, but the Jews did believe. They had a belief. They had a certain kind of belief. They believed in the law and they pursued it zealously. They were passionate about God. Paul himself was willing to kill people who weren't staying traditionally Jewish. The guy who's writing this letter. He was very zealous for anyone getting away from what he thought was truly scriptural. But Paul himself was an heir until God illumined his mind and appeared before him on the road to Damascus. So the Bible describes that there are various kinds of faith, but not all are a true faith. Not all are that narrow path and that narrow way that leads to God in heaven. There are many beliefs out there in the world about God and about what is true. But they are not in accordance with knowledge, as Paul just said here in Romans ten one through 4. So there is a sense in which there has to be a true knowledge of what true faith is. And you must be in accordance with that true knowledge. There is a knowledge piece that you must be giving your assent to. There is a false faith. James describes that very vividly in his epistle. There is a faith that is empty or even deeply wrong about many things. You can read Hebrews 11, as I mentioned earlier. It's a wonderful chapter to discover what biblical faith looks like. And now I'm going to launch into the works a little bit. What does faith look like? This will not be exhaustive. If you want to read an exhaustive? work you can read jonathan edwards 170,000 words on what's called he called religious affections after the great american awakening in america back in the 1700s they had all kinds of false converts from john wesley and george whitfield and edwards preaching in massachusetts up and down the east coast and it's edwards who took up his pen and defended the true gospel and the nature of what genuine converts will look like and be like. A little light reading for you. 170,000 plus words. Religious affections. And so today I will be talking about what the Christians' affections look like and where the Jews erred. They were passionate. They had affections. It said that they were zealous for the law. But all the passion in the world can be wrong if it's not in accordance with the true knowledge. Passion and zeal does not save you. We're going to look at the way the Bible begins. We're just touching on a few scriptures. This is not, like I said, this is not exhaustive. We're going to look at a couple of the key key elements, basic elements, if you will, of the Christian's attitude and his affections. Genuine faith does produce deeds. It does have an obedient heart. It prays. It trusts. It deeply desires and has a deep love that is toward God, going toward God, seeking God, has a vision upon God, treasures Christ, esteems Christ above all things. But all those things I just said are done out of faith. They're done out of faith. But this faith is a faith that goes to work in how you think and live each day. This touches on the dual side of the coin and what's known as repentance, the other word used throughout the New Testament. Repent and believe, Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so what does that look like, Jesus? What does repenting and believing look like to you? How did you describe it? How did your apostles describe it in the scriptures? What did it look like even in the Old Testament? Well, it's the same way it does in the New Testament. It's just there's a little more because we have the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit now. Old Testament saints didn't have as much of the blessing of the Holy Spirit because Christ had not yet been resurrected. Another topic for another day. About those details. Are you thirsty and are you hungry for God? When you look upon Christ in the Gospels and when you read and study him, is he a byword? Is he second in your life? Or is he riches and treasure? And is he beautiful to you? Is he first? There might be days where he feels like he's not first, but the child of God thirsts and thirsts and thirsts and cannot stop himself from keep coming back to God, desiring him above this world. Where does your mind, your actions, your strength, yes, your money, even how you wear your clothes, where does, where does everything you do in life go to? What's it for? Is it to honor Christ? Is everything you say and do, is every morsel that you eat, whether eating or drinking, what does it say? Do all unto the Lord. The smallest detail in your life is supposed to be directed toward giving glory and honor to God. And you know what? A true Christian wants to do that. Because the love of God has been poured out in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Read Romans 5, 5 again. Every Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit and desires to pursue God. Cherishes God, cherishes his ways, cherishes the things of the Lord. Do you want to love God and are you zealously pursuing him? Jesus gave severe warnings to disciples in the Gospels concerning the time of judgment one day future. I will tell people, Jesus says, who say that they know me, and they call me Lord, Lord, repetitively they call me Lord, which means master, which means owner. They they treat me like my New Testament title. They say that I own them. They say that I own them. But I will tell them I never knew you. Depart from me, you doers of lawlessness. Now, if you read that section in Matthew 7, you will find out that they were ones who said, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name didn't we cast out demons and didn't we do great miracles and signs in your name and it's jesus who says i never knew you depart from me you who do lawlessness and so what's jesus contrasting they were saying that they had great showy things in their life to show off they believed that they were very religious and that they were doing things for the name of the lord yet jesus identifies them in one specific way what didn't they do they were, they were full of all kinds of religious activity, but they didn't do the law. They were lawless, Jesus says. They were disobedient. They did not care for my commands. Nowhere does Jesus say to all Christians, go cast out demons, do great science. And prophesy in my name and believe that you can say that things are going to happen in the future. What's the command for all Christians? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it is full of Jesus Christ's law. How to think about divorce. How to think about taking an oath. About forgiveness. About trusting in God's sovereignty. His provision of everything you need in your life and not rebelling against him. He gives all these kinds of commands for the Christian to aspire to live by and love and cherish. And right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he deals with these people, these false believers, who believe that they're doing things for God, but they did not care about the law that came out of the master's mouth. They didn't cherish Jesus' words. They didn't treat his word as if it was him himself. They didn't love the word. They didn't have the love of the word and love of obedience in their heart. They were empty. They were void of pursuing God's commands. It shows, and it goes to show, that they were not his workmanship, God's workmanship, That were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for them beforehand so that they would walk in them. That's why he could say, I never knew you. You weren't my workmanship. I created you to, walk. I created my people who I created. I created to do good deeds. And it's not those things. Good deeds is obeying my commands. You must have a faith that has new desires, desires for God, desires for being more like him. That's what's important to you, special to you, and is treasured by you. You must have a humble faith, a humility before Jesus Christ and before your fellow man. Somebody who is not proud and haughty in spirit and treats others with contempt. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ no matter the cost. You're willing to give up everything in your life for Jesus. And it's not a burden to you. You have the joy of the Lord. And if you go to a martyr's death, the only people died in history singing hymns, being burned alive for Jesus. They have the joy of the Lord in them. didn't mind suffering reproach for the name of their Lord. They didn't mind. And they didn't hate the people that were doing it to them. Many of them say the same thing that Jesus said on the cross. Forgive them, they know not what they do. That's love. That goes to work in your mind, in your heart. That's deep <coughs> theology that comes out in your actions the way you actually live. But there's a stumbling stone in the gospel. There's a stumbling stone, and it is called humility. What is that which humbles man? The gospel brings the reality that you're a sinner, In Romans 1 through 3, we went (laughs) through that. If you don't remember, go through it again. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who seek for God. That's a humbling statement. And you must understand that it's speaking about you before you are converted. And you're not supposed to think more highly of yourself than any other person in this room or in the world. Gospel (coughs) faith and gospel (coughs) preaching will produce in you a humility that knows that you have no righteousness of your own. And you could go and tell any other person humbly, friend, you have no righteousness either. We have no right to God, but repent and believe. He is gracious, loving, and kind. He forgave a sinner such as I. You can never be good enough, the gospel says. You can't earn heaven or favor with God. You can't do it. Your hands are sin stained. Can a (coughs) leper change his spots? Can an Ethiopian black man change the color of his skin? The answer is no. It's impossible. It's impossible for those creatures, the leopard or a man, to change what they're clothed with. It's also showing the state that you're a creature. There's someone over you, a potter, an author, an originator, a primary cause. You are secondary. The king and his messengers come onto the scene and come onto the earth with the gospel, which commands. The gospel is a command, it is not a request. <laughs> Does Paul urge and plead? Yes. But the commands are still the command. And the command is to repent and believe. There's something that must be done by the human. They must truly repent and they must truly believe. And we're seeing what that repentance and belief looks like. There's love, there's excitement, there's joy, there's sacrifice. The Christian doesn't care. Their focus is on Jesus Christ now. Their attention's on him. And they pursue him day after day. These people pursue God's law and a relationship with him. And it's by faith. Because no amount of zealous effort on their own could win the righteousness of God to your account. You must not be able to say, God, reward me. Look at what I've done. Give me my salvation that I deserve. You cannot boast of self before God. You can never look inward. You cannot boast of yourself before other men. The Old Testament Jew, just like the New Testament Christian, pursued obedience or the law of God through faith Because it was a faith that was satisfied in God and His righteousness and His mercy and His provision of grace. Their life, as we're going to read in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do you know how you present your life to God as a living sacrifice? Do you want to know how you become more obedient? It's when you treasure God and His grace. By the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. What are the mercies of God? It's seen all over the gospel that you were a sinner, but God saved you by His grace. You treasure God and his grace, and that motivates your faith into works of action because you see that the Savior is worthy and has given you something you do not deserve. You're humbled by that. It appears to the heart. And at the same time, you have joy. and You pursue him and love him. You do not try to magnify yourself before God or other men. You recognize yourself now as a slave of mercy, a slave of God himself. And you're happy. You're happy in that context. You're happy to be his slave. As Romans 6 says, you become slaves of righteousness. And later, several verses after that, God has enslaved you to himself. You're slaves of God now. You were slaves of sin and of Satan and of self. People always believed that God would provide true people with true faith, always genuinely understand that God is their great high priest. He will sacrifice for them, cover them with his grace and mercy, and make atonement on their behalf. They were always looking forward to the Messiah, the seed of Abraham. And they have no problem with doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly on this earth because they know how great and gracious God is toward them, the sinner. Luke 18 gives this story. Turn there if you'd like. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Here's the attitude of humility. In Jesus, he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves Jesus is teaching people who trust in themselves that they are righteous or that they're a good person or that they're nice or that they're kind and they kind of have a view of themselves that's a little too high, a little too proud, a little too inward focused, thinking that I'm okay. Modern speech, I'm okay or I'm good, no big deal. So Jesus is talking to these people Specifically Pharisees, but also many of the Israelites who fell into the Pharisees' teaching and followed wrong leaders into damning doctrine, into damning ideas. These self-righteous people were those who viewed others with contempt. They looked down their noses at other people and their sin, and they thought that they were better. Two men went up into the temple to pray, Jesus says. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Calling these guys out right to their face. The Pharisee stood up and was praying this to himself. Notice what Jesus says. He's not praying to God, he's praying to himself. Because himself is his own God. It's not Yahweh. He thinks he's praying to Yahweh, but his God is himself. And his pride. And he believed that he needed his own righteousness. And that God is Mm -hmm. some supernatural genie that's going to give him whatever he wants because he's God. He prayed this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes up toward heaven, where God is. He was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified. What kind of a faith did this guy have that he was justified? What kind of a belief in God? What kind of a prayer? It was a humble one, it was a one that cried out to God's mercy. He was a one who knew what he was and recognized that God was holy and he was not. And he wasn't thinking about other people in his prayers or looking down at other people. He was thinking about his own sin. He was content to look in the mirror of God's word and examine himself. Can you examine others? Yes. But you, you better do so humbly and be in a position of, of leadership or as a brother who's mature or sister who's mature. To be able to bring somebody in error back to righteousness who's in sin. This man was justified for everyone who exalts himself. And Jesus puts these two things are you exalting yourself? Or are you exalting God and humbling yourself? Matthew 13 says this about those who have true faith The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. A man found this treasure. And he hit it again. And from joy over it. He goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. The Christian has joy over the king and the kingdom. And he's willing to give up everything that he has to possess Jesus Christ. From joy. <clears throat> from joy. Is Jesus Christ a burden to you? Is he a burden to your life? Or do you find joy in following him? John says this in First John verse 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What kind of faith does John say those who are born of God have? An overcoming faith. A faith that keeps God's commands and does not find God's commands burdensome to them. Those born of God. Keep God's commands, and they don't think it's a burden. They don't think it's a burden. So Christians are humble. They have joy, sacrificial joy. Sacrifice is nothing to possess the king and the kingdom. I give everything for the king and the kingdom. It's nothing compared to the king and the kingdom, is their vision. And they have an overcoming faith. That's not burdened by God's commands, by the words of Christ and the teaching that they are to follow. No person can muster up biblical faith. No person, we've just touched the surface of what the Bible describes here. There's so many verses. So many verses. Nobody can muster this up. But the command is to repent and believe. Only God can produce a faith in a person that repents, believes, and truly becomes humble, joyful, sacrificial, and loves it. Conversion is the power of Almighty God. And as God said, out of darkness shall shine forth the light. (laughs) Out of our darkness and out of our sin-stained past, the power of Almighty God has the power to make this happen. And make sinners in darkness produce his light. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is who humble people pursue. We shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ except we first know and assuredly know that we have no righteousness of our own and you treasure and esteem Christ. John Calvin. You must have a faith that never looks inward to self but looks outward to God and his provision of righteousness through Christ on your behalf. Next week will be part two. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone here. I pray, Lord, that they, everyone in here would know deeper the truths of your gospel, that they would treasure you great, that they would know you more, that they would treasure you more, that they would cherish Christ more, and Lord, from with great joy and seriousness, <clears throat> oh, many things go forth to share the good news, share the command to repent and believe, and be humble doing so. Amen. because everybody signed? Okay.